KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. NBC News Radio, I'm Brian Shook. President Biden says he has no intention to deploy U.S. military forces to Ukraine. Talking with reporters on a shopping trip, Biden again warned of enormous consequences if Russia chooses to invade Ukraine. This would be the largest, if he were to move in with all those forces, would be the largest invasion since World War II. It would change the world. Russia has massed more than 100,000 troops on its border with Ukraine. The Biden administration's vaccine or test mandate for large businesses is no more. It's being withdrawn after the Supreme Court refused to allow it to be implemented. Had the rule gone into effect, businesses with 100 or more workers would have been forced to have their employees vaccinated against coronavirus or have them tested each week. Wall Street is in the red after another wild trading day. Interest rate jitters and geopolitical concerns continued to rattle markets. Brian Shook, NBC News Radio. Attention Medicare recipients and anyone turning 65. Medicare has approved new benefits not included with original Medicare and older Medicare Advantage plans. You may not be getting all of the benefits you're entitled to, including in-home aids, telephone appointments with your doctors, home-delivered meals and prescriptions. These benefits may be available and it's a free call to enroll. The new plans may also offer free eyeglasses, free hearing aids, free wellness visits, and gym memberships. Call the Medicare Benefits line now. It's easy. Call 800-518-2281. 800-518-2281. Find out if you're eligible for new benefits like meal and prescription delivery, in-home aids, and telemedicine. Some plans may have a $0 monthly premium or zero copays for big out-of-pocket savings. Not all Medicare Advantage plans are alike. The new plans have more benefits for many people. Call 800-518-2281. 800-518-2281. 800 2281. Senior Septic in Ontario says your blood donation could save the life of a child, an elderly person, someone who's been in an accident, or the victim of a fire, flood, tornado, or other natural disaster. Give the gift of life and donate blood today. This reminder, courtesy of Senior Septic in Ontario. They're the professionals serving the area with quality, integrity, and dependability. For service or an estimate, call Senior Septic at 909 223 8366. K-C-A-A. It's time time to make the Tri-City Center in Redlands a regular part of your weekly shopping experience. Tri-City is home to a wide assortment of quality businesses, including the all-new Ocean Aquatics. Check out their variety of exotic tropical fish, along with fish food, accessories, and tanks of all shapes and sizes. The Tri-City Center is located just off of Alabama and the Tennessee exits in Redlands. Visit the Tri-City Center today and find out why it's called the Mall with a Heart. This is KCAA. San Bernardino is my hometown. I live here, work here, and raised my children here. I, like so many others, am rolling up my sleeves to make San Bernardino the best it can be. Won't you join us? Welcome to the Uplift San Bernardino Radio Show. I'm Erin Brinker. Hi everyone, so glad to have you with me today. This is Aaron Brinker, as I said in the intro, and this is the Uplift San Bernardino Radio Show. Happy Tuesday, if that's the day that you're listening. It is the first day this radio show airs every Tuesday on KCAA. In the Inland Empire, it's at 106.5 FM, 102.3 FM, and 1050 AM. You can also find us at kcaaradio.com for streaming live or podcast downloads. We are also on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Podcasts and on Google Podcasts. And Apple Podcasts uh, it will sound a little different. It's going to have the ads from KCAA and the others will be ad free. So whatever your favorite podcast app is, you will find us. So I am kicking off a series and I know it's a little bit before February, but kicking us off a series focusing on black business owners in the Inland Empire. I'll be doing a series of interviews, which kicks off tonight with Jennifer Carter. She is the owner of the Oak Tree Learning Center here in San Bernardino. And there's also one in Los Angeles. She's an expert in in education and specifically reducing and eliminating the achievement gap or gaps in achievement uh, for typically low-income communities of color. She is also on the board, full disclosure, of the Making Hope Happen Foundation, but I recruited her for the board, so, you know, I think she's amazing. <laughs> so I'd be excited to sit down with her in just a couple of minutes. Before that, I wanted to let everybody know um, 
course, I've talked about Margaret Hill of the last couple of episodes and the impact that she's had on the Inland Empire. And of course, she passed away very recently. This The Making Hope Happen Foundation has launched a scholarship in her name with a very generous inaugural gift from AMLLC. And AM is the provider of all of the COVID protocols and testing and, you know, the people who are on the school sites doing all of the COVID testing and education, etc. They really are a mission critical partner. And they have provided a 70, $75,000 inaugural gift to this endowment fund, which will provide at least one scholarship for a graduate of San Andreas Continuation High School every year in perpetuity. Now, it can be more than one if we are able to raise more money, and that's what we're setting out to do. This would be the Margaret Hill Memorial Scholarship. And if you want to donate, any amount is fine. A full scholarship would be $4,000. And with that scholarship, which is $3,000 cash plus a mentor, a paid mentor for the students that the students get to have, get to keep with them for two years. And so that's that mentor is a former scholarship recipient themselves, meaning they graduated from a San Bernardino City Unified School District high school. They got a scholarship, went on to college, and they're either upperclassmen or graduate students. And they're with those students, the um, scholarship recipients, freshmen and sophomores for two years. And they really are great. They help them with the transition and they help them time management and study skills and financial management, uh, adjustment to dorm life if they live in the dorms, moving away from home the first time, and just navigating their place on campus, how to find their so-called tribe on campus so they find a place to fit in that's just for them. Universities are generally very large, and colleges are too. And so you go there, and you don't know anybody, and you don't know where you fit. And so finding your place on campus uh, plays a huge role in how you see yourself finishing and your ability to persist to the end, etc. And for most of our scholarship recipients, they are the first in their families to go to college. So this becomes even more important uh, for them. So, so if you want to donate, it's super easy. You can do it online. Go to makinghope.org slash Margaret Hill. That's makinghope.org slash Margaret Hill. And you can make a donation of any size to the Margaret Hill Memorial Scholarship. It'll make a big difference. And San Andreas is a, San Andreas High School is a continuation high school. And so it's the kids, the students who go there, and they're not kids, they're they're teenagers um, who go there are, for whatever reason, the comprehensive high school didn't fit into their lives. Um, and there's lots of reasons why that happens. Some of them have to support their families. Some of them, um, many of them have to work uh, significant hours. Some of them just got lost in the lo- in the size of the of the comprehensive high school. Some of them got themselves into trouble and some of, some of them are just, that's what they prefer. But they're kids that don't necessarily get the, all of the great opportunities and this, so it's really important to them and they can use this scholarship and any accredited, has to be accredited, any accredited trade school, college or university. So the trade schools, everything from nursing to automotive repair to welding to whatever, as long as it's an accredited school, they can use that scholarship and it's, it's there for them. It's their them to use how they need. We don't put a lot of restrictions on, you know, that that you only can pay tuition or books because part of going to college is paying for some place to live, paying for food on your table and paying for transportation to and from school. So it's up to the student to use those dollars um, that in a way that best suits them. Again, for more information, go to makinghope.org. That's makinghope.org and to donate makinghope.org slash Margaret Hill. Now, without any further delay, Here's Jennifer Carter. So I am thrilled to welcome Jennifer Carter. She is the owner of the Oak Tree Learning Center in San Bernardino, and there's also one in Los Angeles. She is uh, a lifetime educator and entrepreneur, a lifelong educator and entrepreneur, uh, and as a member, a full disclosure of the Making Hope Happen Foundation Board of Directors, I can still brag on her because I found her and recruited her for the board, so <laughs> and I'm very proud of that. Um, <laughs> She is um, uh, just a true woman of the world, and I'm excited to welcome her today. Jennifer Carter, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for that that um, introduction. That sounds a lot greater than what I've actually what, what I feel like I've done. <laughs> You've done a lot. Give yourself some credit. Give yourself. You're humble. I get it. I get it. So, um, so tell us about who you are, and how did you you know how how did your career get started? Um, so I guess, you know, I was one of those kids that used to play with my dolls and have them lined up like they were in a class and I would hand out papers and, 
you know, teach them how to read and stories and things like that. Um, so I always had kind of a, a teacherliness about me. And then um, I, when I grew up, I also really liked to write. Um, and when I grew up I, I, and, and went off to college, I kind of vacillated between being a writer or being a journalist and um, being a teacher. So I remembered my, it was my junior year towards the end and everyone was kind of like, you know, you got to pick what you're going to do or what are we going to do with yourself once you graduate? And I remember that Peace Corps is the toughest job you'll ever love commercial. Oh, yes. So I applied to the Peace Corps and, you know, senior year, because back then in the Stone Ages of 1994, it took about, a, or 93, it took like a year to actually be processed. So you had to apply a year before you wanted to join Peace Corps. Um, so I applied, senior year comes, it's the spring and I have two options to go to Peace Corps or to take a job as a reporter for the Springfield Times, which is where my college was. And at that time, this, that Springfield newspaper was really good. It had a super good reputation. It was winning awards, even though it's a tiny, tiny town. And I just felt like I was called to go to Peace Corps. And I went overseas to Kenya. I taught for two years in Western Kenya on the border of Uganda and Kenya and really enjoyed my time. And that kickstarted what would become a 20 something year career as a teacher. Um, then fast forward to 2018 and my husband had been working at um, an investment firm that it was like a startup firm and he was one of the very first employees and they'd grown from a two or $3 million shop to over three or $4 million billion. Wow. Um, that's and so that's incredible. Was, yeah. He was part of that growth, but the owner um, developed cancer did not have a succession plan and it was like a land grab so the partners in the firm literally tore it apart <laughs> and oh that's terrible mm -hmm. that's, it was devastating oh, that is devastating you know? so imagine you spent you know he had spent 15 years putting this thing together from the ground up and then in a matter of you know his boss was sick but he could still you know sort of articulate um, but when he died, it would, that was game over. And he suddenly found himself without a job. And he was one of the last two employees to close the place down. So that was super devastating. Um, at that time, our sons were in college. We didn't anticipate, you know, this drastic, you know, change in our <laughs> income, but we'd been good savers and, he was having a difficult time because people in his industry, once they get into those jobs, they do not leave them. Um, and he was a head trader. So we've saved up some money. And I said, well, if you can't find a job, why don't we buy a job by buying a business? And so literally we Googled buy a business and there's a little website that has all these categories of businesses you can pick. And we picked, um, finance for him and education for me and Oak Tree was the first listing. Wow. Now, is that the Oak Tree in San Bernardino? Yes. Oak that Tree San Bernardino was the first thing on that list. And I was like, San Bernardino, where is that? <laughs> you know, I'm sitting in my, my, my comfortable little space working on the West side of Los Angeles. I, I mean, San Bernardino was the last place that I was thinking of, but we went out and, you know, if you're a person of faith, I think sometimes you know when God is, it's like he's like, he puts his finger and he starts like massaging your soul to tell you it's gonna be all right. Yes. And you get yes. that feeling like, oh, this feels very comfortable. I, I think this is okay. Um, and that's what I felt like. Um, and we, we, we bought it and started it. Wow, like that. no, that's incredible. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm 
I'm backing up a little bit to your trip in your your time in Kenya. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, this is a time so you're early 20s, you're figuring out who you are, you've made this drastic change. Kenya's English speaking, but I know that there are native languages there mm-hmm. as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, tell me about that experience and how you grew as a person during that time. Um, so I actually look Kenyan. Um, I look like the tribes that are there, my body shape, my skin tone, like I look like I could be, um, it's Luya is the tribe that I was around. So people would flat out refuse to speak to me in English, which was uh, hilarious. And I was like, I am not from here. And they're like, your, your parents would be so disappointed that you're acting proud. And I was like, I'm not, I'm really not from here. Oh, that's so funny. Can't you hear my pronunciation? It's different from yours. Yeah, they didn't care. So I, I learned to speak Swahili pretty well while I was there, but that was like a billion light years ago. I can barely, I can't, I can't, I will say I don't remember any of it. Um, but I, I was really, I got really good at bargaining and telling people to stop staring at me because they thought I was Kenyan. And so I always had on American clothes and it's not rude to stare there. So they oh. would just stare like, what are you wearing? And so I, I got really good at telling people, leave me alone, stop staring, mind your business, whatever. Um, but I was in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I think I really learned to be resourceful where I had to figure stuff out. I got a lot of confidence and a lot of faith in God. Um, I got really humble because I, you know, I was trying to do things but there's a limit to what you can do. I think sometimes people go to countries that are not America and think it's America because they're there. Right. Oh, nope. I'm, in, I'm in France, so you have to behave like an American. No, they're French. I'm in you know, Uganda. So, no, they're Ugandan. So really, really learning nuance of cultural differences and how to fit in was a really big skill that I learned. And I just made a lot of friends and I mean, you know, early twenties, I'm not going to say that I didn't have a whole lot of fun, because I had a whole lot of fun. And I think, um, because I, I mean, I packed it in, um, by the time I came home, I, I was ready to not have as much fun. Right. Well, I mean, undoubtedly you grew up, but you probably came home a very different person than got on the plane to head to Nairobi. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and just like perspective, you know, I, so here's, here's a a taboo topic that your listeners will be aghast. You know, um, we always hear about female circumcision and how it's horrible and awful and terrible, but there the kids bug their parents to death for this. It was a huge, huge deal with some of the tribes around. And it was, they, you know, we sort of think like, you know, if I'm just being totally honest, a lot of times people will hear and we throw our expectations of what that is. Yes. And we, because America is so violent and so terrible sometimes, we think everybody in the world is a savage like that where that wasn't the case. Um, the, they would, it would be like you and all your aunties and all your best girlfriends, they would put a nick just enough so that there was a, a blood to show that you had done this. And then there was a three-day party. And really? you got a ton of, yes, and you got a ton of gifts. <laughs> so, you know, what we kind of, what we imagine this thing to be we hear the horror stories, but, you know, people were like, oh, we have to stop them from doing this. And then, you know, I went to one said party and saw one said girl. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, this is not what I thought. And I had a long conversation with her father and other people who were doing the preparation. And, you know, I realized that there is so much information that we get that's so distorted to fit our American perspective that I usually reserve judgment for places that are not America until I go there. Right. I have a more contextual understanding of what is actually happening. 
And I think that's served me very well because it pulls me back from being judgmental and putting my expectations into situations. I let the situation kind of play itself out. And then I can say, okay, this fits with my values. This doesn't. Here's what I think about. Here's what I don't. Here's my understanding of how, you know, it's not that snap judgment from a place of ignorance. And people have a knee-jerk reaction to the idea of female circumcision. And I admit I'm one of those people because my perception, and maybe it differs from country to country. Yeah, yeah. um, But my perception is that there's just total mutilation, you know. um, uh, But from what you're saying, that's not at all the case. Yeah, I mean, and it, it does, you know, I'm, that's the other thing is, you know, now when I go into a situation, I understand that it's always situational. You sure. Know? Um, we hear stories about someone leaving children in an apartment building by themselves. You know, if you're a single mom and you're about to lose your job and your kid is eight or nine and you've been training him or her to be alone, that's a lot different than you're strung out on meth and, you know, you have drug dealers coming in and out of your house, you know, right. it's a different situation. And again, like I, I've come to appreciate understanding the nuance of situations and how they can set a context for stuff. So, and I, you know, thinking back even in my own life, and, and this is my Gen X experience is not unique. Everybody's parents worked. We all let ourselves into the house Absolutely. after school. And, you know, we called as soon as we got home. And I, I actually posted a meme recently that said, I remember calling my my mom's, you know, ca- calling my mom at work, uh, talking to the secretary, getting transferred to my mom and all of that to ask her if I could have a popsicle. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, that was totally my childhood. It was on some Gen X board. And that was quite normal back back then. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. it's not. Right. You know, and well, in and the it, US. Well. It is normal, but people don't let everybody know because yeah. again, we have our judgment, right? We do. And so how that, how that kind of moves into a business space is I think that I've managed to, I, I don't want to say I've done well, but I think that I've managed to move, move ahead because I look at a situation and I gather information. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, this is this, let me go and, you know, like COVID. Oh my God, COVID, shut everything down. No, we're all gonna die, blah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> what's the information and, and how do I gather the collective wisdom of my community to make decisions? So let's fast forward back to when you purchased uh, Oak Tree Learning Center mm-hmm. and you, you came out to this wild woolly world of San Bernardino um, and started putting the school together. What were some of the values that drove you? Um, so I grew up in, so I grew up in Cleveland. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Cleveland Heights, which is majority African-American um, middle class to really wealthy. And my neighborhood, I mean, literally there was one white family in the neighborhood. Oh, wow. Literally. And everybody knew them, the Kellys, cause they're, um, you know, they were, there are eight of them. So they, they had a nice long span of existence and, you know, so we all had, you know, we all had a Kelly in our class, but I think um, we, I, well, let me say that I went to a school that overlapped with my neighborhood from the East Cleveland School District, which was also majority Black, but it was being ravaged by all of those things, oh. you know, the drugs, the crack, um, crime, all of that stuff. So our school kind of overlapped and we had some kids, some of the kids were from down the hill because it's, it's literally a hill. Cleveland Heights is here. East Cleveland is here and some kids from up the hill. And my church was in East Cleveland as well. So I, I, and I was, I had a conversation with a childhood friend the other day and I was like, you know, I forgot, like what happened to your mom? And I remembered her mom was one of those people. She was a neighborhood person who was strung out and was walking the streets, you know? So I, I give that example because when I came to San Bernardino and I looked at the demographics, the economic and social factors, it was very similar to what I had experienced as a kid. 
Right. You know, yep. San Bernardino <laughs> yes. has had his challenges. Sorry. You know. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Bless that, you. Thank you. That up the hill, there's a, a, a set of affluent people, even, you know, of all different, you know, Latino, white, Black, Native American. And there's a set of really poor people, you know, and there's these cultures frequently overlap. And when I went to Oak Tree, I knew all these dynamics, but I didn't necessarily go in thinking we wanna attack this, that, or the other. Instead, my training as a teacher had talked about like the, the achievement gap that exists between those groups. Uh, uh, and it doesn't matter the social class of those people, the race and zip code of certain groups of people determine where they go in life. That is not an assumption, that is a fact. So if you're a black person who's in a particular lower income zip code, the trajectory and path of your life statistically is more likely to go a certain way that is not a good way. Right. So when I went to Oak Tree, I said, well, this is just like Cleveland Heights and East Cleveland. And these people are just like the folks that I grew up with. What can I do so that if the trajectory goes this way, how can I make it go this way for everybody? And we really started a community where we educate our kids, we educate our parents and we educate our staff and we bring in our community because that is the way that you change that trajectory. The more kids learn to think and feel confident in academics, the more that they can pick up some of the, some of the, the tools that make other students more academically successful the more likely they can even bend that from maybe not this, maybe it's this, or maybe not this, maybe it's this. And, and we're, we're, in, time, that we're in radio. Sorry, 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 sorry. We're in radio. So, um, you know, maybe not, maybe not um, going from, you know, pointing down to pointing up, but something in between that can make an right. impact in their lives. So, you know, if, if you're thinking about a hill, you know, if, if you're a walker or a runner and it's a 1% grade, you know, it's a slight hill. If that hill is a mile long and it's a 1% grade, by the time you get to the top of the hill, you're going, it'll be a significant difference between where you started and where you end up. And that's what we're talking about. We're trying to change the, change the trajectory. So even if it's just a one or 2% difference compared to other kids, that over a lifetime will dramatically change how that person starts their life and how they can end their life. Right. And that's, and that's profound. And I love that, um, that you recognize that the whole community has to be in on it. Right. So yes. it's, it's, um, I think that there's a lot of people who are, for lack of a better word, do-gooders, people who work in the nonprofit community, like myself, uh, and coming in, well, I'll show them how to do it. And, you know, and, and it's, it's number one, it would make all kinds of assumptions about the people who, who live in a particular community that are not necessarily very nice assumptions. Um, you, and you assume that they don't, they don't know anything, that they're stupid, that there's some mistake that they've done, that they've, um, you know, that they just, they can't figure it out. And, and reality is, is they're surviving in, a, in an environment that probably you couldn't. Um, and so how do, you, how do you help them to see, to connect the dots for them? um uh and and help them connect the dots for you because it goes both ways um i mean maybe this is gonna sound terrible but i'm not there to make people realize that their perspective is jacked up <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i but but i think the more you have a firsthand perspective of someone's experience the less misconceptions you'll have oh that's so, fair you know, I have, I used to work on the West side in LA, which is predominantly white and affluent. You know, that's the, that's the, the predominant culture. Even if you are not those things, you know, you still go to Whole Foods, you know, you still wear your Allbirds, you still listen to NPR, like, you know, the culture, that is sort of the expectation um, surrounding what life is like. 
but frequently we would have kids, you know, come from different places like Hawthorne or South LA, where that is not the predominant culture. And there was an almost like an assumption that those kids would assimilate or know how to assimilate. You know, we in education would call it code switching. You know, there was an assumption that people would adopt these things and do these things this way when they had no idea where they had come from. I spend a lot of time in places that are not like where I live so that I don't make assumptions. You know, I, I, I was talking to someone who works with um, a, a, a set of uh, Native Americans and they were asking me some questions on education. And I said, well, you know what? I, I don't know how this will fit into the context of your culture. And I think that that comment kind of like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> you realize there's a context? And I was, of course, every culture, every community has a context. So if I hang out with them and I eat with them and I go to their plays and I go to their churches, I go to their community events, I see what's important, I talk to them, and I don't have that one Native American friend, you know, that I can say, oh, look, of, of my gamut of friends, look, there's that person. <laughs> I'm okay, you know? I've got the one friend. <laughs> you know, and I think that's what really aggravates people of color is that, you know, you take that one experience and suddenly... You know, that's your template for all of those people. No, you got to go into the culture and spend time and become a part of that community to know what's going on in that community. I can speak articulately about what it's like to be someone without money. I've never been without money. My parents, you know, they're part of the great migration. They got to work and they grew up poor and they're like, no, thank you, sir. And they, they were never poor. We went on family vacations. We got a new car every five years. I went to private school, you know, the whole gamut. But as my church was in a neighborhood full of people who didn't have money. And I was constantly in places with people who did not have access. And luckily I had a pastor who was white in a black community who had learned that lesson and imbued that value in all of us that he was, you know, everyone that he shared life with. So it was constantly looking around and realizing, okay, this is different. How is this different? Okay, how does this fit into my context? And this, this constant recalibration as you figure out how, you know, how to interact and how to get along with people. And I, I, I think, you know, I have a son, Ian, who, you know, you've met, he can go anywhere. His, his, his godparents are, when I say geniuses, like literally, you know, full, full scholarship to Brandeis, full scholarship to MIT. His godfather taught himself uh, German so he could study Martin Luther in German. Wow. And became a, a scholar on Martin Luther. So they're geniuses. But when we go back to Ohio and we go to my, you know, to that old neighborhood, and there's broken down houses and there's you know homeless people and crack addicts and drug dealers we can stand and chat with them too you know because again we don't bring assumptions from either set and we don't make anybody feel like their context or their culture is not not worthy and i do think that that's what has made me really successful in san bernardino you know Whatever you're doing, I have to I have to understand how that fits into my into my school into our school culture. So, have you had experiences in San Bernardino or any other time in your life where um, you found yourself butting up a culture that was not accepting of you? Um, kind of pushy. So, <laughs> so. You know, if, if I don't fit into a culture, I'm, I'm and I, I feel, if I feel uncomfortable, then I usually will say, this is what it is, and I don't fit here, you know? And that's okay. That's okay. I don't mind if I don't fit everywhere. Oh, I, I like, love that. I love your I, attitude. I, 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 mean, I, I, I wear it like a robe, and I feel bad about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
doesn't help anything or anyone. (laughs) Because, you know, I, you know, I, I, I realized the, that my, the last place that I worked, I wanted the kind of culture that I'm cultivating at Oak Tree, but it, it didn't want that culture. It had a, a different culture. And I was like, no, but this is better. And everybody will love it. And, and, you know, at some point, like, I don't know if you've ever read the book, I Am Legend. I have not is, read the book. I've just seen the movie. the movie, right? The movie is totally different. And I'm going to spoil the ending for you and whoever else is listening. If you're all mad at me. It, it's been out for a few decades. Go ahead with the spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> In the end. So you all know that the Will Smith, Will Smith character is trying to cure everybody of vampire, vampirism. Yes. Well, in the book, the last scene is a vampire mother talking to her vampire child and saying, there's a boogeyman that comes at night and kills us. And he's trying to, he's trying to give us some potion that'll turn us into something we're not. So we should be afraid of him. So he's the legend. So at a certain point, you have to realize if the culture is this, and I'm the only person pushing this, who's the boogeyman? Is it me or is the culture? That is profound. Let me chew on that for a second. That is <laughs> profound. And, and um, you know, I think about companies because where I've, I've experienced this the most, and maybe lots of people have experienced this the most, is finding yourself a round peg in a square hole at work. And you, you pop into a culture that is just not, it, but, you know, I popped in a culture, just not me at all. I'm right. not hyper-competitive. I'm not, um, I'm not a type A, I mean, I'm, I certainly work hard. I still certainly yeah, want yeah. excellence and all of that, but I'm not that type A eat raw meat for breakfast kind of a, <laughs> you know, kind of a person. You go, ah, you exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm just not, and there are people <laughs> like that. My brother could sell ice cubes to Eskimos. He is, you know, he's a, he's a driver and I respect him, but I am not him. I could never right. work for him. Right. Um, and I, I tried for a long time to fit myself into that kind of culture and it ate me alive. It just wasn't me. And so mm-hmm. I found, and I'm creating in, in our own company, you know, insofar as I can in our own nonprofit, the culture that's like me, it's more touchy feely. Um, um, and I found my place, but, you know, having for years, I would say to myself, oh, it's because there's something wrong with you that you didn't fit into that culture. Like, no, it just, I didn't fit into that culture. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I think cultures are like milk, you know, sometimes you're lactose intolerant. Sometimes you like oat milk. Sometimes you like soy milk. Sometimes you don't like milk at all. You know, you have to find what, what, what gets into you and makes you feel good. You know, you can't feel upset all the time. And (laughs) I think a lot of times, I just think that, you know, again, my, my directors at the school, sometimes I'll, I'll say, you know, we should tell that family about X, Y, or Z school. And when I first would say that, they would be like, you're turning people away. And I, no, you know, we're, I did a tour with this parent and th- that kid was adorable. She had bows in her hair and she Aww. was clean as the board of health. She asked if she could go play. And dad was like, you're going to get your sneakers dirty. And I immediately said, okay, we're done. And he was Uh, like, what do you mean? I was like, our kids run around here like they are cave people. (laughs) Stuff, digging. They're going to, she's going to, she, the way she looks now is definitely not how she's going to go home ever. I guarantee she may get sand in her hair. She may put sand in someone's hair, you know, Yes. That's developmentally appropriate. You know, they don't have words. You know, you're going to throw sand if you're mad. And I can't have you saying she's not clean because that's not what we do here. You know, the, again, they run around like, like crazy people. And I, <laughs> I love it, you know? Yes. Um, and so, you know, it's just really, we, we do, a, I think, a good job of finding people who fit our culture at Oak Tree Schools and helping them. I think now that we're having this, I never really thought about this, settling into what that means for them. And that's why our kids leave so confident and so happy to be themselves is because they've spent years settling into who they are 
so that when they go into a different school setting, they find their little tribe of people that they can run around like crazy people with, or, you know, we have some kids that like books or some kids, but whatever it is their, their, their thing is, they can find that group of people and feel comfortable knowing that there's nothing wrong with that. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm, you know, thinking about middle school and high school where, where they change so much, especially in middle school. And, you know, and being uncomfortable in your own skin is a hallmark of being a middle schooler. Um, You know, but if they entered middle school with that kind of confidence and that same kind of culture was, was there, I, I, I have to imagine that middle school would be a lot easier on them. I think in, in some ways, because middle school, I taught middle school, I worked out of middle school for 11 years. It's a train work. It's, that's just that. Can you imagine people go from being like two inches tall to seven feet tall in <laughs> three true. years? It's true. And if you think of the chemical reaction that's, that's happening inside to, to power that kind of change that fast, you know? They're trying. They're 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 emotionally, physically. They're just a mess. Yes. But it's sort of like if you go into that situation and you have a better understanding of who, and they don't even. I don't. I don't want to say who they are because I don't think kids really know who they are until much later. But if you have a firmer sense of like what makes you feel a little more comfortable. Then when you when you stray from that, it's it's like a radius. You know, you don't get right. too far away from that thing that's that's you know you. And I don't know if that makes it easier, but it it's it's I think it takes away some of the risk. You know, if you've grown up and you know you like art, and you know that you know, I don't know maybe you, and I, and here's a a good middle school habit. You swear a lot and you experiment with smoking. If you know that that's kind of like, that's where you are, you may not, you may say, well, you know, smoking is a lot different than trying ecstasy or smoking is a lot different than binge drinking. You know, you don't necessarily get too far away from that. Right. And I know that that's taboo and oh my God, she's saying kids smoke. No, that's not what I'm kids saying. Kids try things are what you're saying. Kids, kids try things. And the, the, again, the more we just face that as that's what it is, you know, and, and having conversations about why are you trying this? And, you know, that's not encouraging kids, but again, feeling comfortable. Like I had this conversation with my mom. She gave me the pros and cons. I'm still going to sneak and do it, but I don't know if I need to go all the way over there, right. you know, to, to do this other thing that's a lot more risky. So At least I, that's been my experience. I think about um, uh, your own son who uh, went to Dartmouth, which is of course in the Ivy League, um, and it's in New Hampshire, which has a totally different uh, culture to Southern California. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think for a lot of Southern California kids, uh, that would be like landing on the moon is starting, you know, going to an Ivy League school because the mm-hmm. cultures are so very different. And yet he adapted and did well. And um, you know, can you? I know that's his experience, but your mom and you're right there along there, right there with him. So, kind of talk about you know his adaptability and and what some of those lessons, how some of those lessons helped him. So, it, you know, I think all of all of the things that I'm saying about going into a context, looking around, and seeing where you fit in. You know, Ian Ian does that in in all spades. You know, to reference cards. Um, he, again, he can go anywhere and feel comfortable um, and doesn't necessarily think that his experience is the better experience. It's just an experience. So when he goes somewhere else, then that's just an experience. It's not necessarily, and he may have a preference. He lives in Denver and now he's like, ah, I prefer like a city like LA or Boston, right. you know? But, you know, he, he always says like Denver is, you know, a lot of people like Denver. And I always notice because I'm an English teacher. I was like, but I noticed that you did not use an inclusive pronoun. <laughs> Those we people like, like Denver. Denver over there. They're smiling. Most people, but not, <laughs> not me. You did not say yeah. we like Denver. I noticed that. Um, 
And I think, you know, again, that's something that I've applied in business. The school in LA is totally different than the school in San Bernardino. Different, con different neighborhood, different context. When we interact with people from the community, they're very different. You know, we are in a predominantly black neighborhood called View Park Windsor Hills. And there, this is like the soul of activism for African-Americans and black people in Los Angeles. It's like the soul of, Af of activism in Los Angeles. So yes, when we do programming and we have people in, it's about empowering and you know, how, how you can make an impact on your community. So these are things that have been modeled for Ian his entire life. It is, it's the context, his context is to expect a different context. And I think he does very well with all different kinds of people because he, he just goes in and kind of adapts and sees where he fits in. So he goes in without assumptions. He has assumptions. He's kind of a curmudgeon. So he definitely has some <laughs> assumptions, you know, and, and listen, this isn't, this doesn't like, I, I have judgments and assumptions and prejudices and, you know, I'm human, you know, I bleed like everybody else. He bleeds like everybody else, but it's how do you then deal with those, you know? Right. Do you feel guilty? Oh my God, I, I think, you know, when I go into this Korean neighborhood, this is gonna happen. Or do you say, you know, this is what I think. Oh, surprisingly, it is not that, you know? Right. Um, that's very different, you know? I think so, it's very different. So let's, um, you know, bringing it back to your entrepreneurial um, uh, ventures. I know that you are that you are always looking for ways to grow and impact uh, community and you know and to be a business person. So, what are some of the things that are on the horizon, if you don't mind sharing, um, for you for Oak Tree or whatever you want to tell me about? Um, so, Oak Tree has a preschool for kids ages two until they're entering first grade, and then we have a school age program for kids who are in the local elementary schools and they spend summers, spring break, after school, all those crazy half days for parent-teacher conferences, random, you know, oh, it's porcupine day, kids have love. <laughs> like they spent all of those days with us. Um, and I would like to expand and figure out a way to make that more readily available to more kids. Um, I think we do, like I said, we do a fantastic job closing that achievement gap in a community like San Bernardino. And then on the other end, kids who are already knocking it out of the park, we really, you know, if they're heading, if they're swinging for the fences, we get it over that fence for them. And so I would really like to expand our programming, um, figure out ways to collaborate with the city and the county to do that, to give access. Um, I'm really thinking about ways to partner with the school district or the community, um, even having some classes or things like that to help teachers integrate a more um, experience-based approach that we use into the classroom while also adhering to state standards and um, assessment. And you know, I, I really want this to get big because first, I do think that this is a vocation for me. It's not necessarily a business. And I see, you know, if we can go from two schools to four schools to eight schools to 16 schools, it's not look at me expanding my business. It's look at all of these. Remember, it's kids, it's parents, teachers, and the community. So if we can impact 16 communities with people, again, who with that 1% change in gradation, can, that's a tremendous impact in a community. So I would love to expand so that we can impact more places. You know, I, I had a conversation with uh, somebody who works in public health at Loma Linda University. And um, uh, I didn't know when we started the conversation that she was from, her family's from Pakistan, which um, is uh, important in this example. Uh -huh. I said, you know, when when immigrants come to the United States, come to the United States, often they have two nickels to rub together, if that. But they're able to build um, uh, a, you know, whether they buy a business or they start from scratch or whatever, they're able to to build a life here in the U.S. Um, and within a generation, they're they're in a completely different 
social stratus, et cetera, strata or whatever. Um, and this is from lots of different countries, from, um, from Asia to I mean, Nigerians have done fabulously well in the United States, et cetera. And so, um, and I said, but American people who grow up poor in the US for a whole host of different reasons that have a lot to do with history, they don't see that way forward. They don't think that, that the good things in life are for them. And um, I see what you're doing as a, um, or maybe they don't understand that it's for them, but they assume with, like I said, the context is, I understand why they assume this, that, that those are for other, that those, those opportunities are for other people. And it sounds to me like you are erasing that for families and for the community. And, mm -hmm. and that is a very, very interesting and powerful way to approach it. Because, you know, I am, um, I understand, like I said, I understand why, why people are, you know, like, that's not for me, that's not for you, that's, you know, because of whatever happened in their, in their past, and we all know the history of that. This is powerful, what you're doing, powerful. Um, and 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 am I am I on the right track? Am I seeing things the way that you met, mean me to see them? Yeah, I mean, you know, like I love metaphors, as you probably can tell. So let's say we're we're looking at that one percent grade, and I just show you the path. I don't show you the brambles. I don't show you the rocks. Or I don't show you the snakes. You know, all I do is show you the path. By the time you get to the end of that path it'll be a much very, it'll be a, a different experience because we know all that stuff is on their path. Let's, let's not, I don't want to be unambiguous about that. Right. The system and the, the construct of society as it is, is not set up for success. If you don't have money, if you're an American with no money, or if you're a, a person of color, it's not set up for you in a lot of ways. And I don't want anyone to think that I, I, you know, I appreciate when people from different countries can come, there's a much different history that does not have all those path, all of those roadblocks, because, you know, it's just like um, that book, you know, what happened to you that Rosa or I'm um, sorry, Rosa, um, Oprah wrote with Bruce Perry, who studies brain development. Oh, I love Bruce Perry. Yeah, he's fabulous. Um, you know, if, if you see examples all around of why you're not going to be successful, it's hard to see the path. Right. And what I'm doing is trying to show that there's still a path without highlighting all of the things that we all know are there. And you're providing, you know, because it's a school environment where families are welcome, the community is welcome you're there along there with them as a, as a Sherpa of sorts, as a, um, as a, you know, walking the path with them mm -hmm. and creating a culture of support. The other thing that is, that is a challenge in, in our culture in the U S is, um, the hyper-individualism and I'm, and I'm all for personal responsibility, yada, 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 but the hyper-individualism says you're on your own. I'm not helping you because there's nothing in it for me. And um, I, I, you're bucking that trend, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I, you know, organize, or there's nonprofits that are doing that, there are collective impact initiatives that are doing that, and it's mm -hmm. becoming more prevalent. Um, but it, it takes intentional work to do that, to, and for people to trust that that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, well, the way that they trust is, again, the more you're in their context, I think the more you more you gain, you win people over and the more you know their context and you provide programming that reflects that or you provide something that reflects that. You know, people are always, when I talk to people and I invite them to come and do a presentation or come to the center, they always say, this is a preschool, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm, yes, it is. You, your financial services, will be at a preschool with preschool parents or preschool teachers. Like, you know, um, again, like you give, give people what they need. You know, let's, let's be honest. If you grow up poor in America, how much of that, you know, again, the top of that hill are you gonna see without a bunch of obstacles? I can't get a student loan. My family is going to need me to help them pay for 
stuff at if I if I go through high school, then I have to start helping with food and clothes for the other people. I don't know how to navigate college. No one's been to college. I don't know how what is financial aid. I'm embarrassed to tell people my parents have never had a job. Like there's a ton of obstacles, you know. And if you don't know those obstacles exist and and you can't be rational and reasonable with all it, you know, I tell people all the time, if you're poor and you want to go to college, get comfortable with student loans. Yeah. Or spend a lot of time applying for scholarships. Yes. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not going to make you feel bad that you have debt. You know, if you don't have any money and you want to go to, and let's say you want to be a doctor, let's do the, you know, the debt ratio to potential income calculator. Is it going to be worth it in the long run? Absolutely. But again, like, um, I think a lot of the, the normalizing people's experiences, understanding their context and really showing them and being realistic, you know? Your your parents are abusive, maybe not tell them your plans. You know, I'm not right. gonna say, oh, your parents should be. No, this is your context. Let's deal with it as it is, because then that's me showing you the path. That's not me putting the obstacles there or letting you only see the obstacles. Well, that's uh that's wonderful. You know, I I um that's wonderful. I know that um in the, as I collect my thoughts here, forgive me, I'm so um, mesmerized by this conversation. Um, and I wish that we, no, it's wonderful. I, I wish that that we, we heard this more often, you know, um, the punditry talking about, well, this should be this way, or it should be that way, or all people are this, or all people are that. And, you know, that gets eyeballs on screens, but it's destructive to our overall culture. Um, and this is, been a really wonderful conversation and I hate to say it, but we're out of time. Um, I want to have you back on and, and honestly, Jennifer, let's, let's make you a regular guest so that um, uh, we can have uh, conversations like this one. Um, I know that you're doing important work and you're part of collective impact, important work. And, um, you know, we need to, those are the conversations that we need to have. And I think, um, you know, the, the next topic that I would love to talk to you about is in, in a culture, the culture that has you thriving and surviving in a violent neighborhood is that your what those skills that you learn to, to thrive in that environment or to, you know, to come out of that environment are not going to help you when you're out of that environment. That so, you know, the thing that got you there is not going to keep you there. And I think that's uh, a big problem for people rising out of poverty as well. And it could be the language they use. It could be the way they um, relate to one another. It's, you know, the the, um, the assumptions they make about one another. And uh, I think we need to be cognizant of some of the challenges that they go through. So that's all the teasing I'm going to do. We're going to make that the next topic. Um, Let people know how they can find and follow you on social media. So if you go to www.oaktreelearningcenter.com, you will be directed to both of our schools. We have a really lively Instagram for both schools. We have a Pinterest, and we also have a YouTube channel so that you can do some of these experience-based projects at home with your own kids. Wonderful. And you have a blog as well, don't you? I do not. Um, because of all those collective impact organizations, I'm having less time and I'm, <laughs> Fair I'm enough. having to be a lot more selective about some of the things I'm doing. Um, my primary concern is getting more, um, exposing more children, families, teachers, and communities to this curriculum. And then everything else is coming second to that. That makes perfect sense because you can't do everything. It's only 24 hours in a day. <laughs> well, Jennifer Carter, as always, it's been a delight to speak to you. This has been, um, I'm very rarely speechless. And so you've given, you've given me a lot to chew on and I hope you've given our listeners a lot to chew on. And thank you for, for choosing. Thank you, God, for leading you here to the city of San Bernardino because uh, we really need you. And I need you guys, you know, to keep me on the straight and narrow, checking me when I when I get out of order. So thank you too. And that brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.
KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. <laughs> 